Our learning objective is to explain the roles of beta and the coefficient of determination in defining the risk of a particular security as part of the capital asset pricing model, or CAPM. Now, the capital asset pricing model is derived from the capital market line, but it's, it's derived through a lot of really neat calculus uh, derivations. And so we're not going to discuss the derivation of the capital asset pricing model, but simply take it as a given. And the capital asset pricing model can be easily stated as the expected return on any asset or any portfolio is equal to the risk-free rate of return plus what we call the beta coefficient times the expected rate of return on the market portfolio minus the risk-free rate. So in this model, the term beta becomes our measure of risk exposure. Beta, in turn, is defined as the covariance between the returns on any single asset or any portfolio and the market portfolio divided by the variance of the market portfolio. So in this model, the ultimate measure of risk is how the value of a portfolio or the price of a security moves relative to the entire market. So think about beta as a parameter that relates stock or portfolio performance to overall market performance. And so simply stated, uh, with, uh, with an X percent change in the, in the market, a stock or a portfolio will tend to change by X times its beta coefficient. Let's consider a sample problem. If the expected return on the market portfolio is 10% and the risk-free rate is 4%, what is the expected return on a stock with a beta of 0.8? And I'll give you two choices, 4.8 and 8.8. To solve it, we simply plug the numbers into the capital asset pricing model. So the expected return is equal to the 4% risk-free rate plus 0.8, the beta, times the expected return on the market of 10% minus the risk-free rate of 4%, so that's 6%. 6% times 0.8 is 4.8%. Add that back to the risk-free rate of 4, and you get that the expected return on this particular asset is 8.8%. Beta can take on a range of values. In theory, it can be less than zero, which says that the asset moves opposite to the market as a whole. In practice, there are not many assets for which that's true, but if there are some assets with a negative beta, they provide tremendous diversification value. A beta could equal zero, which says that the value of the asset is independent of the market. Beta could be between 0 and 1, which says that it moves, uh, the value of the asset moves in the same direction as the market, but less volatile. A beta equal to 1 means that the value of the asset is exactly the same as uh, the market. 
and beta greater than one says the value of the asset will move in the same direction as the market, but more volatile. So when the market is up, it will be up by a greater percentage, and when the market is down, it would be down by a greater percentage. When you think about it, the, if you were to look at the betas of all of the assets that are available, all of the assets that are available constitute the market portfolio. And by definition, the beta of the market portfolio would be one. So the aggregate average of all the betas has to be one. So we think about that as our mean beta coefficient. One of the nice things about the beta coefficient is that when you create portfolios, the beta of the portfolio, which we think of as B, uh, beta sub P, is nothing more than the weighted average of the betas of the individual assets in the portfolio. So uh, the weights we use are the market value of each holding relative to the total value of the portfolio. Let's consider another sample problem. You have two securities in your portfolio. The larger one has a 60% weight, so if the beta of the larger holding is 1.5 and the beta of the smaller is 0.5, what is the portfolio's beta? And I'll give you two choices, 0.9 and 1.1. Well, in this case, if the larger holding has a weight of 60%, then the smaller holding has to have a weight of 40% because the weights have to sum to 1. So to get the portfolio beta, you multiply the 0.6 times 1.5 and the 0.4 times the 0.5, uh, and that will give you the sum of 0.9 and 0.2, which sums up to 1.1. So in this case, the portfolio beta would be 1.1. Where do we get beta from? We, we defined it as covariance divided by variance, but you know, in practice, how do we think about computing it? Well, a traditional way of computing beta is with the market model. And what the market model does is it, it's the relationship between the excess return on asset I, and by excess return, we mean the return minus the risk-free rate. So it's the excess return on asset I is equal to what we call the uh, alpha or the intercept plus beta times the excess return on the market portfolio, plus a term we call eta, which is a random error term associated with each observation. With the market model, think about uh, plotting the points where on the horizontal axis you have the return on the market portfolio, uh, and on the vertical axis you have the return on the individual asset. You plot the points, and then statistically you compute the line that best fits those points. That line is referred to as the characteristic line and it represents uh, the market model. So the vertical intercept of that line is alpha and here's the key point. The slope of that line is our beta coefficient. So the easiest way to compute a beta coefficient is to regress the excess return on an asset against the excess return on the market portfolio, and then the slope is the beta coefficient. 
if you take the variance of both sides of the market model, and I, I appreciate that to understand that concept is you do have to have a course in statistics, but hang with me on this one. If you take the variance of both sides that, of that equation, then it turns out that we can, we can think of the variance, uh, the variability, uh, as being re as stated in the form that the variance on any asset I, uh, which would be sigma sub I squared, the variance, can be uh, computed as the sum of two terms. The first term is the beta coefficient squared times the variance of the market portfolio. And the product of those two terms is what we would refer to as market risk. The other term then is the variance of the eta term. And the easiest way to think about eta is it's the vertical distance between each, each actual return and the line the characteristic line that we uh, drew uh, and discussed a minute ago. So the uh, variance of eta is how we think about as non-market risk. So when you think about the total risk of each individual asset, you can literally break that down into the sum of market risk and non-market risk, and you can actually ascertain percentage allocation. Market risk divided by total risk turns out to be also uh, our coefficient of determination. So the higher that number, the more that, uh, the more reliable the beta coefficient is in terms of uh, explaining the relationship between changes in the value of the market portfolio and changes in the value of the individual asset. Let's look at some true-false questions. The average beta is zero. That one's false. Remember, uh, the beta of the market portfolio is one, and that the market portfolio is all assets, and so the average of all assets, the betas of all assets, has to be one. With the capital asset pricing model, the lowest possible expected rate of return will be the risk-free rate. That's false. You would get an expected return equal to the risk-free rate if the beta were zero. But remember, it is possible to have negative betas. So when you have an asset with a negative beta, the expected return would actually have to be lower than the risk-free rate. So you say, why would somebody buy an asset whose expected return is less than the risk-free rate of return? And it goes back to the issue that when you have a negative beta, the asset is a wonderful asset for bringing diversification to your portfolio. So you are accepting a very low expected rate of return in exchange for the risk reduction that a, an asset with a negative beta brings to the portfolio.